Welcome to the Crazy Beautiful Life Podcast. I'm your host, B, and I'm all about living life out loud and on purpose. We cover so many different topics in this podcast, from lifestyle, fitness, motivation, inspiration, sustainability, environmentalism, women's health advocacy, and so much more. I drink a lot of coffee because my life is crazy, but it's beautiful, and I'm so excited that you're here to join me. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Crazy Beautiful Life podcast. I'm B, the host of the Crazy Beautiful Life, and I am so grateful to be here today to be discussing this topic and spreading this message. I know that the podcast was quiet for approximately two weeks, um, and that is because I just felt that amplifying my own voice during the Black Lives Matter movement did not seem appropriate. I wanted to take the time to educate myself. I wanted to take the time to connect um, with people in my life, people of color, and come up with something um, that would be good and that would be meaningful instead of just posting another podcast about myself. It didn't feel right. So today I am super fortunate to have my beautiful my beautiful friend here to share her stories, her experiences, and her knowledge and educate us on how we can better support the movement. So welcome, Lily. Hello. I'm so glad you brought me on today. Um, I'm Lily Callender. I met Bethany working on the iconic boat, <laughs> and um, I'm a student at UBC. I study international relations and economics, and I'm also mixed race. Race, and I'm from um, a small town, 40 minutes outside of Kingston, Ontario, which is called Sydenham. Awesome. Thank you for coming. Um, I'm really glad that you can do this. I actually had a p- approached a few other people, and they just weren't comfortable. They weren't confident, and that is totally fine. Um, but I'm mm-hmm. glad that we were able to connect, and I'm glad that we're doing this today because I think it is super, super important, and it's also necessary. And yeah. I just really want to get some things out there. So like Lily mentioned, we work on the boats. You guys have heard me talk about the boats so many times. I'm sure you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, but interestingly enough, and I was actually thinking about this, Lil, the like boating and yachting industry is heavily a white-dominated industry. And I yeah. just like find it find it weird how we're talking about this here today. And that's how we met each other. And that's sort of the reality of the yachting mm-hmm. industry. So today, uh, Lily and I are having a conversation it's going to be authentic. It's going to be real. Um, it's not scripted. We don't have any like major things that we're reading off of. I just want to make it super real and raw. We're going to be covering a few different topics such as white privilege, microaggressions, Lily's experience growing up as a woman of color in Canada, um, and all of the things. So get ready. This is going to be a good episode. It's going to be a different episode than anything I've ever recorded, but that is exactly what I want it to be. I want it to be different. I want to um, do my part, and I want to try and amplify as many voices as I can, and I hope that this is something that we can continue doing in the future. So at the beginning of the Black Lives Matter movement, um, when things really went up in the air. Um, I didn't really understand white privilege and all these people were sharing these graphics on Instagram about white privilege. And I didn't understand it because I always thought, you know, like, like I'm not privileged. Like I get OSAP and I have to work to have things. So I thought I wasn't privileged. And now my perspective on that has completely, completely changed. It 
changed by first admitting that I didn't understand white privilege Mm -hmm. and then looking at how I could better understand it. So do you think you could sort of give us some insight as to what white privilege is? Because I think people don't get it or they don't want to admit it. It's really interesting you say it like that because that's something I've had so many conversations about because a, a frequent um, argument or response to white privilege is the fact that there is a lot of white communities that are under the welfare line, not saying that you are, but mm-hmm. in general, there's a lot of um, misfortunate white communities in Canada and in the United States. But white, what, what white privilege is basically saying is that those communities do not have to face the same misfortunes and discrimination that other underprivileged white or black communities or colored communities have to, um, on the other hand. So one of the best examples I've ever seen for that is, um, I don't know if you've ever seen the videos where like, in schools or in communities, they have everyone stand the line and they ask you to t- take a step forward. So they say, take a step forward if you've ever um, had the cops pull you over for no reason. Um, and, you know, a bunch of black people step forward. It's like, take a step forward if you've ever had someone ask you to straighten your hair. A bunch of black people step forward. Take a step forward if someone you're in your community has ever crossed the street when you're walking down it. Stuff like that um, happens on a daily basis for people of color and it doesn't happen as much for white people or even at all. Um, And I think that that's what a lot of people are trying to emphasize, that we're not saying that you cannot have struggles as white people. That's not what people are saying. They're just saying that there's unique struggles within the black and other communities that do not are not experienced by white people. And that's just the truth. And I think that it's hard um, to, or it's easy to get the message mixed up and think that people are saying, oh, your life is perfect, blah, 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 and you're so privileged. It's not saying that. It's just saying white privilege in general is real and it is experienced by a lot of people that don't face this racial discrimination. And even for me, I have to recognize my own privilege. Like I'm mixed race. I do have white in me. I do have white privilege. I do have like people that may see me as more palatable, quote unquote, than people who are dark skin. So I also recognize that privilege. So it always starts with recognition. And then what do you do to respond to that privilege? Mm-hmm. I was, I'm sure you probably saw it too. It was, it was one of those infographics on Instagram and it laid it out really well. And it was like white privilege, like isn't the absence of hardships. It's the absence of hardships that pertain to the color of your skin. Yeah. So it's not saying that I haven't had hardships in my life. It's saying that the hardships that I faced aren't because of the color of my skin. Yeah. And it takes a lot to admit to that and try to educate yourselves because as you know, a lot of people would just rather be in denial and be ignorant to it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these scenarios, ignorance really is bliss. And I think we're seeing that, especially in rural communities in Canada. People don't realize like what goes on and the sort of mentalities that manifest um, 
I love, I love rural communities. I love growing up in a small community. You know, there's so many good things that come out of it. And there's also a lot of love in those communities, but there's also a lot of small mindedness. So I think that it's important for people in small communities, as well as big communities where there is large populations of like people of color to also have these conversations about white privilege. Mm -hmm. I had never even heard of white privilege until I moved to Toronto to go to university when I was 18. Mm -hmm. It, it was that's pretty crazy. Yeah, it wasn't even like part of my general knowledge. And then the first time I heard it, I was like, privilege. I'm not privileged. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like a weird, weird thing that like you just have to admit. Mm -hmm. And like, I don't know if you have any like insight or anything like that of like, what can people do to start to realize that they do have white privilege? Like, what can help someone realize their privilege and understand that it's it's not about the not having hardships it's about not hardships related to the color of your skin mm -hmm. do you know what people can do to like try and understand that um like i said like there's a lot of videos i think that exemplify different experiences that white people probably do not experience. Mm -hmm. Like I, like I said, and I think that this will probably come up a lot in our discussion is I'm from a very small town and things like, you know, participate in the economy and to participate in society because it is marginalizing. Um, so for white people to address it, I would just say, listen and learn and realize that there's other, this is way bigger than than us, this is a, a real, really bigger picture. And that there's other experiences that you might not be experiencing. Um, and that doesn't mean that they're not out there. Mm -hmm. It also thinks, I think like, it also comes down to like, believing people and yeah. trusting people. And when you hear a story instead of like, when a lot of people when they hear something like that, they'll be like, Oh, that's not a thing. But, like, yeah. I think people need to have a lot more trust in each other and understanding. And instead of questioning people's experiences, really listening to them and, and believing them and being like, oh, my God, like, that's a real thing. Instead of just knocking it off. I feel a lot of the times when people hear these stories, they knock them off because that's not a reality for them. That's not something that they ever have to face or experience. So it's easy for them mm -hmm. to be like, oh, that, that that would never happen. Like that's not yeah. a thing, but, but it is, it's just about trusting each other and coming together and listening to stories and mm -hmm. being like, Oh, would my situation have been different there? Probably because I'm white. Yeah. And that's, that's so true about listening because I think a lot of people get really defensive. Like instead of listening, it's like their automatic reaction is be defensive and not listen and totally like dilute the message of, people of color um but there has to be more spaces that invite listening um and I feel like that's really the first step is acknowledgement and second step is just listening to people and hearing their stories and creating like relationships based on trust and understanding mm -hmm. okay let's talk about microaggressions or big aggressions <laughs> macro yeah is that the opposite just sort of anything that you've experienced I know a lot of people think that they'll be like oh I'm not racist oh yeah. I'm not racist but they have subconscious microaggressions that they may not even be aware of can you speak to that at all 
Yeah, I think that one thing people are talking about a lot is being not racist versus anti-racist, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it all ties back into white privilege and microaggressions. Um, so microaggressions is basically um, indirect comments, actions that are either referencing stereotypes or negative um you know ideas of people of color um and i think that it's so much more prominent than people actually think and it does contribute to a society of intolerance um when i was growing up there was a lot of microaggressions that happened and i'd say that those were more impactful on me than the actual like blatant racism i faced because the microaggressions kind of accumulate over time and really get in your head. Um, So I can give some examples. Um, At my graduation, um, my grade 12 graduation at my high school, um, someone had, and you know, school boards in Ontario, you're supposed to ban the Confederate flag. I don't know how much it actually happens in some schools um, because this is a hate symbol that was used during the American Civil War. for people that were pro-slavery. Of course, this is highly contested, but I just think that we can use different symbols. We don't really need to recycle this one, especially not in Southern Ontario. It just doesn't really make much sense. But people at my school wore it all the time, and it made me feel real uncomfortable because if this is a symbol that used to support slavery, how am I supposed to go to school and see my classmates wearing it? Um, it's so alienating and I went to the office and I told people like what like not even would it be possible I was definitely a little bit stern more stern than that I said we need to remove this from the school and the administration said yeah like of course this should not be in the school but the issue was teachers that didn't know or care enough to take action because it's not like three principals or three good teachers are gonna like go around the school and monitor there was kids wearing it to their classes and teachers weren't saying anything. Everyone has to be on board. Um, so I, gra- I went to my graduation and I noticed when I was sitting in the chair um, and people were going up on stage that someone was wearing a Confederate flag hat. And one of the teachers walked up to him right as he was about to get on stage and asked him to remove it. And he made a scene. He said, this is pride. Um, you cannot tell me to remove it. And all his friends, all my classmates, well, not all of them, but at least a dozen of them were all cheering him on. And it's like, that is so difficult being like, I graduated, I've spent four years with these people and they literally just don't care and they don't get it and they don't want to get it. Mm-hmm. Like they are flying a flag that makes me genuinely feel unsafe and they're so prideful about it. Um, so that's where microaggression comes in. After this happened, I had about four teachers come up to me and say, I'm so sorry. I know you're so sensitive about that. And I'm like, you don't need to come to me and apologize. Mm-hmm. You know, you should be over there apologizing to all these students that you failed, all these students that are going to go into society and potentially, you know, spread racism 
spread ignorance. And, you know, they're not potentially going to get as far in life Mm -hmm. because our world is changing and there's going to come a time where this stuff, even in small communities, is no longer acceptable. So you owe it to all of us and not just me that Mm -hmm. you make sure this flag is known why it shouldn't be flew um, by students and especially at a convocation ceremony with like 400 people. Mm-hmm. Even so my high of, school had that too. Really? My high school, and I still see it on Facebook. Now I have deleted a lot of people. Um, but the Confederate flag was everywhere. It was on the back of the guys' trucks that, you know, drove their trucks yeah. to school every day. It was on their baseball hats. It was on the back of their jean jackets. And I didn't even know what it meant. Yeah. I was never, ever, ever informed about what that meant. And then in my first year of university, I was at the library with one of my teammates who is an incredible and powerful, badass woman of color. And I was scrolling through Facebook and I was like, why do I like keep seeing this? I saw this all of high school. Like, what is this? And she explained to me what that flag meant. And I was sickened. Like, I was disgusted mm-hmm. that all my years of high school, kids were allowed to wear that to school. Mm-hmm. Like, that's messed up. And why weren't we taught about it? And like the difference with my high school too is, I mean, when I was there, I was there for four years. I don't know if it's different now. There was not a single black person in my school. Yeah. There were about 300 of us and there was not a single black person. Mm -hmm. So would things have been different if there was? Maybe, but would maybe they also have felt too uncomfortable to speak up that's also a possibility so I think that even you going to your your teacher about that is a step in the right direction but for them to be like I know you're sensitive about this it's like that's not Mm -hmm. sensitivity this is human rights Mm -hmm. no I totally agree with you and I just don't I don't understand why it is that people feel the need to fly it especially in rural Canada it just doesn't make sense um Someone once told me that it was because a lot of the guys at my school watched Dukes of Hazard, mm-hmm. um, and I guess it's like used in Dukes of Hazard. But the ability to overlook the history of this flag because you think it's a cool symbol in Dukes of Hazard just shows that, like, to be honest, the education system is really failing a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And in your school and in my school, if there's a huge like shortage of people of color the school has even more of a duty to educate and make sure people really understand what this means. You know, Canada has a history of, you know, discrimination, genocide of indigenous people. There is so many awful things that taint our Canadian history that we don't like to talk about. And I think it's the school system's jobs to start these conversations at a young age, that's the only way that people are going to be able to grow up to be more aware and be more accepting. And I just, I really don't see it happening to the full level I'd like. Mm -hmm. And um, also, can you talk about when you said not racist versus anti-racist? Because I I found that really powerful. Mm -hmm. So um, I think like, I was thinking of when I said that an example, like we work on the boats um, and a lot of our staff are white, but also a lot of them are non-white. 
Um, and in particular, people that are not white could have faced experiences of racial discrimination. And I understand we're all friends and we all get along, but the difference between a not racist is someone, someone that's not racist is someone that doesn't care if they're of color and is still friends with them. And the difference between anti-racism racist is someone that understands that they probably have gone through stuff and will actively be an accomplice to breaking down ignorance and breaking down intolerance and dismantling systemic inequalities. Um, and I think that that's really what it means to me. It means different to di different things to different people. But I always hear the, I can't be racist. My friend is black. And it just is like, it's painful to hear because it's like, just because your friend is black doesn't mean you're not capable of being racist. Yeah, definitely. And like the, I don't know, I just sort of came up with this analogy right now is like, if there was five people, you and I are in the group, um, and there's five of us, and one person in that group was being racist, I could be like, oh, I'm, I'm not racist, I'm, I'm not agreeing with what they're what they're saying or what they're doing. Yeah, but I'm not racist. And I, I know in my head, I'm not racist. But maybe the if I was anti racist, I would say something to that person. I would say like, exactly. that's not acceptable what you're saying isn't acceptable and this is why it's wrong. So I think maybe it could be about being outspoken. Yeah. Talking. It has something to do with that as well, because even like I said earlier, a microaggression, an example of one is when someone says something racist and everyone turns to the black person in the room, like it's their duty to put this person in their place. No, it's your duty too. It's, it's all of our duties to, dismantle like this history of white supremacy that we've been living with for so long um and that's that's what anti-racism is is you know being an accomplice to doing this mm -hmm. yeah yeah that I, I like what you said there is like when when you said that they all turn and look at the black person in the room that that must feel so alienating yeah, that it's kind makes of makes me really sad. It, it doesn't happen to me as much anymore. Yeah. But I definitely feel like when this whole movement started, um, I because I've, I've been tuned out like I, I deleted my Instagram a while ago, just because I need a little break before everything is happening. But I got I was getting dozens of messages from people. And of course, I really, really appreciate it. But it's like if you're apologizing to me for whatever, um, I just want to see that you're actually taking action. Don't just apologize for racist acts that have happened. Like, show that you're taking action and you're ready to be an accomplice mm -hmm. to, you know, fighting this and dealing with all this stuff. Like, I think for too long, people have had to deal with this alone. Um, and you're right, it's, it's alienating and it's also exhausting. Um, which is why I appreciate you bringing me on here because I don't, I know that you don't want to amplify your voice, but why don't we just amplify both our voices? Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that I've been like trying to do like with, I don't know if you saw, I did a series based on women's health. Um, it was the estrogen empire and that was like part of a school, a school project. And what I'm really trying to do there is 
to talk about women's health and to talk about women and to amplify women's voices and the experience of women. But I can't do that justice if I only look at one population of women. Yeah. And that's another thing is that's really important is intersectionality. Mm -hmm. That's really coming out in a lot of movements because, you know, the feminist movement was so important to so many women, but also when every single one of the feminists, like big, big feminist icons of that era were white, white, it's like a little bit disheartening for someone of color who wants to see representation and wants to see a feminist, a black feminist or a feminist of color that is like showcasing faces that black women face. Because the whole thing about intersectionality is like the dual forms of discrimination you can face. Um, so it's so important to acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. And like a lot of the times I feel, especially with the movement right now, so many people are taking the approach as, okay, this is the time for people of color to speak. So I'm going to step down. Yeah. And I'm not sure I feel that's the right approach. Um, I agree with you. I think that me right now, I like personally felt when everything was going on, it's like, I've been fighting this fight for like 15 years. I'm tired. Like you guys take, take the baton. I'm going to, you know, have a little spa day because, you know, I, I can't, I can't keep saying the same things over and over again. Like, and, you know, be spamming everyone on Instagram because I've been spamming everyone in real life for so long. So I think you're right. It's really important that people don't take a seat, the back seat. They've been taking the back seat for so long. Mm-hmm. And then, like, one of my teammates shared a thing and it said, if you choose to remain silent, you are siding with the oppressor. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how I was starting to feel too, because like I said, I, I didn't feel comfortable. I post a podcast every single Monday and I didn't feel like it was right to post a podcast right now. But then I also realized that if I remain silent, I'm siding with the oppressor. Yeah. Um, that's a difficult one. Um, cause it depends on what you define as silent. Mm-hmm. I think that I've read a lot about how some people are, you know, taking this time to have discussions with their family, their friends, um, they're reading, you know, they're calling old like family members that may not have the best outlooks on the world that I personally agree with. Um, and they're doing their own work quietly in their own time. And I don't necessarily think I would jump to criticize those people Mm -hmm. um I think it really depends on their intentions you know one issue that I have is like all the people that are so active about the environmentalist movement on Instagram that are silent right now because if I already know you're willing to use your platform for stuff like that and then you don't use it for the Black Lives Matter movement it's a little bit confusing because you know, it is intersecting. Like, all of this is, you know, we're all trying to fight for change. And if you're only trying to fight for certain change, it's a little bit troubling. Yeah. And, like, maybe people are 
doing their part in different ways. Maybe there isn't yeah. one right way to support the movement. Yeah, no, you're totally right. Because even people are posting the Black Blackout Tuesday, or they did, and there's some people that are upset about it. There's some people that are defending it. You know, there's some people saying you should post on Instagram. There's others saying other things that you should sign petitions, that you should donate. It's like there's so many ways that people can step up. And I don't necessarily think that posting on Instagram um, is a requirement, but I definitely think it wouldn't hurt. Right. Yeah, it definitely doesn't hurt at all. Yeah. And it's easy. And like I've seen a lot of people who based on how I know them as a person, they're sharing the black square in order to just conform. Yeah. They don't believe in the movement. They don't believe in what they're promoting. And I think that's also a big issue. Um, but I also know that there's, there's so much more that people can be doing besides sharing the black square. If you're, Mm -hmm. if you're feeling obligated to share the black square, then I think you need to do a little bit more research and realize like how fucking important this is. Yeah. Like why we're sharing the black square. Why is that little black square so important? Why is educating yourself Mm -hmm. so important? So like, what can people do? What can our friends do? Our families do? Um, what can I do to sort of better Mm. support the black lives matter movement? Um, so I think you saw my post. Mm-hmm. I think we're all trying to create change in our own little ways. And I do think there's a lot of resources about petitions, about movements, uh, about, you know, everything online right now. But I decided that I wanted to create tangible change in my own small community. And I think that that's something that everyone should start taking steps to do. Mm-hmm. So what I'm doing or hoping to do is just a call to action to my school board. Um, you know, we need we need a better updated curriculum. We've needed it for so long. The fact that you didn't learn about the Confederate flag, no one really learned about the Confederate flag, and it's in our schools, is a little bit troubling. A lot of it troubling, actually. A lot. <laughs> and um, so, you know, If your school was like that, it's maybe time that we all start talking about getting an updated curriculum in Toronto. So that can mean emailing the Ministry of Education, which is something I did and something I encourage other people to do. Um, Another thing is, you know, starting to hold adults account to account. So um, one of my most, you know, upsetting memories of my high school experience was all the teachers that kind of just brushed my experiences under the rug. Like they really made me feel like I should be silent. And they made me feel like my experiences didn't matter. And like my safety didn't matter. My education didn't matter. And those people are still educators at my school board. And I'm not name drop. A lot of people are saying name drop those people. I'm not going to name drop them because I don't think that that's going to be productive. That's going to give the school board a scapegoat to be like, oh, we had a bad apple. It's like this is a systemic entrenched issue, and we all know it is. Like our schools may be super comfortable for white students. They're not comfortable 
for gay students. They're not comfortable for black students, brown students. You, you know, the list goes on. And we need to start making sure that especially schools with mostly white people are comfortable for everyone. Um, so that's what I would say. If you have something in your community that you think is wrong, start talking to people and saying, how can we change this? Because if everyone has small change in their communities across Canada, imagine the impact we can make. Yeah. Yeah, that's It big. would be pretty cool. Yeah. And I think we can, you know, look at our, look at our own communities. I think a lot of reflection has to happen. I can look at my own hometown. I love my hometown dearly. Yeah. And I've had so many great experiences in my hometown. But I also know that when I went from my hometown to the biggest city in Canada, mm-hmm. I was shocked. Yeah. I had a big, big culture shock. Mm-hmm. And there are definitely things that I can reflect upon in my own town, in my own community that need change. Mm-hmm. So I, I no. it's like the ripple effect, almost what you just described. It's like, yeah, look at your community. That's what exactly can you it. do in your community and, and change it? Yeah. And I also had similar experiences to you. Like, even though I am of color, that doesn't accept me from being a little ignorant. You know, when I came to Vancouver, I was so shocked. Like, there was, like, I barely knew anyone that was Asian in my town. And now I'm in a city with a huge population of Asian people. And that was different. And it took me a while to to learn and understand the different dynamics and the different cultures. And another thing is about religions other than Christianity. Like, I still I'm trying to learn because it's just not something we learn about. Like we get Christmas off, we get all these, you know, Western holidays off. But, you know, we got to start thinking about in our schools, whether we should have more inclusive, um, I guess, would it be an academic calendar? Yeah, I think an academic calendar. Um, There's so many things that that we can do, um, no matter who we are, to create tangible change. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people don't realize that they can email the Ministry yeah. of Education. They can email the Ministry of Health, the Minister of this, the Minister of Global Affairs, whatever it is. It's all on there, and they're actually required by law to respond to you. Yeah. So, no, and people are just, they think it's too big of a job, right? But it takes, it maybe will take you about 30 minutes. It's just the buildup and the anxiety of actually doing it that's the real problem here, not the, the pressing the send button. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it's, it's possible. And I mean, even with the movement already, we have seen change. We've seen arrests happen. We've seen Mm -hmm. larger um, punishments being put in place. So I think people can sit back and think that they can't do much or they can admit and start to demand that they can make change and they can grab the hands of people beside them, no matter what the people beside them look like and go with it Mm -hmm. together. No, that's so powerful. And a lot of the change that's happening is contained to the United States. 
And I think Canadians need to start having conversations because we do have police brutality here and we do have systemic racism here. It may have a different face. It may be different. I know that Indigenous people are highly, highly oppressed in Canadian society. And I personally want to know more and I don't know more. That's something that I like actively am trying to pursue. Um, but the job is nowhere done, especially in Canada and especially in the United States. Like, I, I don't know if it's ever going to be fully done, but we can at least get somewhere a little better than what it is right now. Mm-hmm. And why, if you can think of like, why do people think racism isn't real in Canada? Like what makes people believe that it's not real? Um, I don't know. I've been having so many discussions with like, I, I have distant family that's super con- conservative and they live in Alberta and I've been having conversations and like just a blatant denial of this whole thing being about race. And it's like, it's super confusing because you sign on Instagram and like everyone's so supportive. And then you go on Facebook and every once in a while you're experiencing people that have really, really contrasting views. Um, Why I think that they don't get it. Um, I think that A, they have grown up in societies where they're not around people that don't look like them. They haven't had experiences that have forced them to get it. Um, They don't want to get it because that might mean they have to accept some harsh realities. And also, people don't want to let go of their power. They think that if black, black people or people of color are equal to them, that they're going to lose some sort of power in society. And I think that's really freaking scary, especially for the older generations. Um, but I hope that there's reason, there's room for change. And even I had an interesting thing happen to me yesterday that actually made me super emotional. Um, one of like the guys that bullied me in high school, um, he actually reached out to me and he saw my petition. Um, well, actually it was a little, it was, he didn't fully reach out to me, but we had contact Mm -hmm. and, um, he basically told me that he was so sorry about everything that happened and that he wants to help me in any way with this movement against the school board. And just to hear that from someone that used to call you the N word that used to, and I, and I'm not, I'm not minimizing what he did because it was awful mm-hmm. but I'm just saying that people do have the capacity to change and to reflect on their past wrongs so we can't just you know come for all these people because of things that they did in the past let's actually start dialogues that's not the much harder route to go but it's more rewarding mm-hmm. yeah starting dialogues that's a that's a good good thing because like even I have been unfriending people yeah and I was reading this post that was like before you unfriend all these people try and have a conversation with them first try and educate them on you know why this is a thing because people do have the capacity to change but like you said it's admitting some harsh harsh realities yeah I think that's the first step is just admitting 
in yourself. Yeah. And even like stereotypes, like you mentioned before, and like stereotyping people of color. If there was someone listening to this episode that still has those stereotypes because they've been rooted in their upbringing or whatever it is, stereotypes or beliefs about people of color, what would you sort of say to them regarding those stereotypes and what they can do to completely eradicate them from their common knowledge? Um, I would say know that you might never be able to completely eradicate them. Um, that's the harsh reality. Like I said before, we live in a society that was built on white supremacy. So we constantly are having to unlearn, learn behaviors. And there's something called the Harvard implicit bias test, which I encourage people to do. I did it and I have implicit biases and I, I know that like it's so entrenched into us that it's really, really hard to get rid of it. Um, but just understanding and realizing that people of color are not what you see on the TV screens. They're not the mugshot that you every once in a while see on Facebook. Um, there's so much more to every single black individual than those stereotypes. So I would say, it's okay that you have those because all of us do, even though we don't like to admit it, it's the ugly truth of our society. But now that you know, like try to be better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's tough. Like unlearning learned. Yeah. Like that's messed up. Cause like I personally have been in a small town my whole life. Mm -hmm. Like I lived in, in Belfast in Northern Ireland. Um, but I lived in a small community, um, mainly white people. Yeah. And then when I moved to Canada, I moved into a small town and I was there for pretty much all of elementary school, all of high school. So yeah, Mm -hmm. it is like unlearning learned behaviors. That's a, that's a really tough, tough thing to, to come to reality with. And that's where the education system plays a pivotal role. Right. Um, because one of the issues with police and also with teachers is because they make it through their whole life without these implicit biases being challenged. Um, and then, you know, it comes to fruition in some of the most ugly ways. But if in schools we are teaching students to unlearn that learned behavior, whether it be by their parents, whether it be by, you know, the television shows they watch, the books they read, etc., Um, If we start teaching those students to unlearn those behaviors, it'll have such an important impact because even some adults I talk to that are educators in Canada, they just talk about how when they grew up, it wasn't at all like this. Like they didn't even learn about any of this stuff. And it's so hard to realize that a lot of the adults in society today have made it through their whole lives without really challenging this and seeing the, the, the ramifications of that in some context. I'm not saying that all people over 40 or 30 are bad. I'm just saying that it is difficult to fully understand your implicit bias if you've lived most of your life with it. Mm-hmm. Um, like young people are more impressionable. Mm-hmm. And can you just 
provide a quick definition with regards to what implicit bias is? Um, so implicit bias is like, huh, I don't know if I'm actually exactly going to be able to nail That's this fine. definition, but it's like basically when you subconsciously connotate certain stereotypes to um, people of color or other mar marginalized populations. So, um, for example, I think I mentioned um, earlier about people crossing the street when they see like a black person. Um, all a lot of our movies that we watch, a lot of TV shows have a tendency to have black men as criminals. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of the media we see is black men as criminals and like with slavery and with all these really deeply entrenched stereotypes that are awful, um, implicit biases have formed like across, across like countries. Um, mm -hmm. It's so substantial and it's very um, implicit, as I said, so it's not overt, it's not explicit. Explicit would be when people explicitly have issues with black people and are blatantly racist. Mm -hmm. um, but implicit bias is much more quiet forms of discrimination that we all suffer from. Huh. Yeah, I can think of times too growing up where I've definitely seen implicit biases. You know, like yeah. a person of color comes into a store and, and they're followed for absolutely no reason. Yeah. That would be an implicit bias, right? Yeah, because you have an assumption that, that they might steal something. Right. And um, that happens a lot in rural communities as well. Mm-hmm. And like you said, like, I don't think rural communities are bad. I just think it's so deeply, in the word you used, entrenched Mm -hmm. into the, their common culture and their common ways of thinking that they don't realize how fucked up that is. Yeah. It's just really heavy. It is really heavy, and that's the hardest part for people is just comprehending how how broken the system really is. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, the petition that you have, where people can find it? how they can sign it, and what they can do? Um, so the petition is basically a little background. Um, me and my brothers all face some pretty awful discrimination in high school. We're the only black people in the school for the most part. Um, I think there was one black person in my brother's graduating class, my little brothers. Um, but we face a lot of discrimination and we faced a lot of indifference from the school and the school board. Things that I cited in my post explaining my experience were like stuff like being called the N-word and having teachers tell me that they, the, the guys that said it to me didn't mean it. Or having kids embarrass me in front of the entire class saying that I supposedly love watermelon and teachers telling me, oh, you handled it so great. Like, I didn't want to interject. Um, a couple teachers knew about some death threats I received in ninth grade um, to my home phones. A group of guys, literally, my mom answered and they asked for me. And they started going on about how I should be 
hanging in a tree outside my house and all this stuff um, that was really awful and they couldn't they didn't even have the courage to unblock their their names so the school was aware of a lot of this stuff and the best reaction I got was from my principal who said you know I see that it's wrong but we've come so far since our town used to be like a KKK outpost which I've never actually looked into that so I probably should but basically a lot of indifference um, and after I graduated I tried to talk to them um, there's an incoming principal and I was like there's a really bad problem it's confederate flags that plague the halls they're everywhere there's a bunch of people that are just really intolerant um, in this school in this community and um, I want you to do something about it and I hope that she would and I and I do think that she did but um, it just wasn't enough because um, there was a student that I guess my brother saw at a protest where he was in the same school board and he was citing very similar experiences. And it just like shook me to my core because I was like, I really don't want any more kids to have to go through what we went through in that school. Like the school has a duty to protect and educate us. And if they're failing on both those points, it's just really problematic. So I decided to start a petition um, to put pressure on the school board in um, Kingston, Ontario to start taking action against racial um, discrimination. I do know that they have done certain things, but it just honestly hasn't been working because it's so deeply ingrained to certain communities and also the teachers aren't well-trained enough. So um, my petition can be found at um, my Instagram. It's Lily Calendar. And um, yeah, I, you can just search through Bethany's followers. I'll um, put it in the show notes. That people amazing. can click Thank on you. it. <laughs> yeah, but basically I'm just hoping that this puts enough pressure on them to, to have change. But I also realize what we talked about before is that change may have to come from one step above, which is the Ministry of Education. I don't know if it's one or two steps, but it's above. Um, and talking about, as the whole of Ontario, how do we make schools more safe for people of colour? Um, yeah, and even you, what you said, it's it's very interesting to hear, like, what, we're, like, an hour and a half apart, and it seems like it was maybe a very similar environment. Yeah. Um which is so interesting. Yeah, like Kingston is like, yeah, about an hour and a half from my hometown and very yeah. similar. And even the, the Dukes of Hazard thing, very similar. Yeah. So like, are people so naive and so uneducated that they think that that's something from a TV show? Mm -hmm. I was. I was naive. I was uneducated. I had no clue what that meant. Mm -hmm. And I feel, like, cheated in a way. Yeah. I feel so, like, let down. Yeah. And that's fair. And I feel like that's good because a lot of students don't feel let down. They're like, oh, this is how it is. Like, this is how I'm going to act. But the students that do know that they should have learned more, um, that creates accountability to the schools to start teaching more. 
Um, and it's so, so important. And I do really think that like concrete action from school boards in Ontario will help lead the change against racial discrimination in Canada um, and help produce like a next generation of kids that are just so much more aware and understanding and accepting. Mm -hmm. For me, like in my elementary school, I went to a Catholic elementary school Mm -hmm. and this is a different topic, but I remember the first time we were introduced to the concept of people who were gay or same sex relationships. And once a month, our priest would come into our classroom and he would deliver a lesson once a month. Mm -hmm. And he said that they were removing the words bride and groom from the church and they were replacing them with partner and partner. And I was kind of like, what? Now at that time, I think I was in grade three or grade four and they, the whole lesson was about how same sex relationships are a thing. We will marry same sex relationships in the church. We don't discriminate against those types of relationships. And I was young, like I was young, young. I was in grade Mm -hmm. three or grade four. And I think because I was young and because I was impressionable, that stayed with me. Yeah. And although I didn't, see any same-sex relationships until I moved to Toronto. Um, I was young and impressionable when I was introduced to the to the topic. So people need to be introduced to the topic at a much younger age. So I, I appreciate what you're doing. And I hope that the people who are listening to this go and sign your petition or reach out to other organizations in, in their communities, um, address any racial injustices in their own communities, in their own house, in their own workplace, whatever it may be. But if you wanted to leave the listeners with one thing, um, most of the listeners are women. Um, if there's anything that you want to say, anything you want to contribute um, to tell my listeners about the Black Lives Matter movement, the floor is yours. <laughs> um that's hard. There's, there's so much to say. Say um, it all. <laughs> say it all. I would just say that we are about to be given a very complicated, not given, but our generation is about to be the people that are in charge and leading this very complicated world. And we were left with a lot of a mess you know we have the environmental crisis we have global inequality we have systemic racism that's at large in so many countries um and i really think that we all need to do our part and making sure that we can have a better future i've talked to so many kids lately or people lately about how they literally just are scared to have kids yeah because it's a really scary world right now. And this is not about riots. This is not about stuff like that. This is so much bigger than that. Um, so I just encourage people to try to be the change that they want to see. Um, and don't feel like your voice is too small. Um, don't feel like your voice because you're white or because you're whoever isn't enough. Like your voice matters and it's important that we all work together to try and create more equity and more acceptance um 
and thank you for any work that you've already been doing. And I look forward to seeing all the people that are really just stepping up, continue to step up. Mm -hmm. That's really good. And I'm sure we've all heard that quote, like, if you want to go far, go alone. Or if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you Mm want to go far, go together. And I think we all need to come together, grab each other's hands and say, like, we're not going to tolerate this anymore. We are going to make a change. And one day we will see a world. Hopefully, I don't know if we'll see it in our lifetime. Maybe we'll see it in a year from now. Maybe we'll see it in 100 years from now where we don't see people's color. We just see people. Mm -hmm. I would love for that to be a reality. And if that's how I feel as a white person, (laughs) I can't imagine how that must feel as a person of color or any racial minority of that matter. Yeah. I think that it's going to be difficult to dismantle and get to a point that we never see people for who they are. I think that maybe I'm a little bit less optimistic, but I just don't think that with history we'll ever be able to not see people as their racial identities. But I think that we can get to a point where we don't see it as a bad thing. Yeah. Which is so, so, so important. Yeah. That's a really good way of putting it. Yeah. I like that. (laughs) Okay. Well, I guess we will wrap this up. Um, Thank you. Like, honestly, thank you. I know it's kind of weird doing a podcast. It's weird putting yourself out there and speaking on the spot and thinking on the spot, but I just knew I wouldn't, be able to do this topic justice on my own so Mm -hmm. I really 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 appreciate you coming on here and I hope that people listen and learn and feel inspired to make a change and go sign your petition and look at their own communities and I just thank you a lot I really do I think it's really important to have people like you (laughs) (laughs) you as well thank you for having me no problem take care bye sister bye Thank you guys so much for listening to the Crazy Beautiful Life podcast today. As always, make sure that you are subscribed and following the podcast so you never miss an upcoming episode. And as always, if you guys have any questions, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram at bee.spiers. That's at b.spears. It is a beautiful life. Take care.